Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. As, as we've already touched on, we thank you uh, for what we celebrate today. Uh, we thank you for the good fathers and father figures uh, you gave to us. Uh, we thank you for being our perfect Heavenly Father who is always there for us, no matter what our time of need is. Uh, you are always there for us to provide just exactly what we need. may not be what we want or wish for, but it's what we need. It's always what we need. You know us better than we know ourselves. Lord, we thank you that your word promises us that before we even speak in prayer to you, giving, us, giving you our needs, you already know what those needs are. And you're already working on how you're going to provide those to us. We thank you that we can always turn to you. We can always rely on your strength and your power as our Father. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. War is an ever-present reality in this world cursed by humanity's own sin. Sometimes war is necessary means to keep evil at bay and to prevent it from spreading across the rest of the world. War means death. It equals death. Death of the enemy, death of your fellow soldiers, and sometimes your own sacrificial death to save others in your company. In June of 2007, while the U.S. was occupying Iraq, Army Staff Sergeant Travis Atkins made a point to call his family and inform them that he was about to take his men out on a mission. He also told his mother that he had just put something in the mail for her. After that phone call, Sergeant Atkins took his men and went out on their commanded mission. During that mission, Sergeant Atkins found two men who were suspected of setting up roadside bombs to, to kill U.S. soldiers and started frisking them in inspection. When Sergeant Atkins attempted to engage one of the men, the man started throwing punches at him. While subduing the man, Sergeant Atkins discovered that the man had pulled the detonator to a suicide vest he was wearing. Without hesitation, Sergeant Atkins bear-hugged the man, picked him up, and body-slammed him to the ground, using his own body as a shield to protect the rest of his men from the blast. Sergeant Atkins died from the damage he incurred from the bomb, but saved the rest of the men he led in his company. On March 27, 2019, Sergeant Atkins was posthumously awarded the Distinguished Service Cross Medal of Honor by then-President Trump. Going back to 2007, though, when Sergeant Atkins' mother opened the letter her son had mailed to her, she discovered that the letter was filled with his gratitude for everything his family had done for him throughout his life. Some think Sergeant Atkins could sense he was going to die that day, and that's why he sent the letter. Others only think he was sending well wishes to his mom for Mother's Day. Whatever the case was, this officer in charge of other soldiers, without hesitation, sacrificed his life to save his fellow brothers. When President Trump awarded Sergeant Atkins, he is quoted as saying he did not run. He didn't know what it was to run. He acted in the tradition of the 10th Mountain Division in his climb to glory. In our passage this morning, Jesus makes an even greater statement 
about his own impending sacrifice he knew he needed to give in order to save all of humanity from their sin and provide an escape from eternal torment in the lake of fire. How must that dramatically change our lives and how we see our lives from this point on? Last week, Jesus made the declaration that the hour, that phrase, the hour had finally come. When Jesus referred to the hour, what he was always referring to was his impending death by crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. While he had referred to the hour in the future tense throughout the three and a half years of his public ministry, for the very first time in verse 23, like we took a look at last week, Jesus declared that the hour had come. What changed? What happened? What had caused Jesus to make this declaration? Last week, we talked about how the Gentiles had finally put their faith in Jesus as the Son of God. That was what changed. When Gentiles put their faith in Jesus, that marked the end of Jesus' public ministry, and he would now turn shortly to a primarily private ministry between him and his disciples just before he's crucified. Jesus had now accomplished bringing representatives of the whole world to put their faith in him. That was the prophetic purpose of the Messiah being the light to the nations, and that had come to fruition. Now, Jesus elaborates on his statement that the hour had come. So if you brought your Bibles with you, please turn to John chapter 12. We're going to be picking up in verses 27 through 28. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you, or you can look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. John chapter 12, picking up in verses 27 through 28, Jesus uh, says this next. Now my soul has become troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, for, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This was part of our scripture reading just a few minutes ago. This is truly a profound statement. And what I wanted to set up for with our opening story about Sergeant Atkins. Whether or not Sergeant Atkins knew he was going to die that day will remain a mystery. But Jesus certainly knows he will die and knows exactly how that will be, including all of the torture that will go along with it. Notice that Jesus has very real human emotions in connection and response to this knowledge. We have to remember that Jesus was both 100% God and 100% human. He couldn't help but feel emotional in automatic human response to what he knew he was going to have to endure. He was emotionally distressed, as he should be, considering everything we know he knew that he was going to have to go through. But here was the biggest difference. Jesus did not let his emotions dictate his ultimate response. He was experiencing emotional turmoil, but he did not let that stop him from what he knew he needed to do. Indeed, Jesus says, what am I going to do? 
plead nonstop for the Father to save me and tell me I don't actually need to follow through with the imminent crucifixion? Of course not. Why? Because that was the very reason why he was God incarnate in the first place. That was the entire purpose of the earthly ministry of his first advent. His birth, his childhood, his baptism, his temptation by Satan himself, his homelessness, hunger, thirst, complete physical exhaustion, continuous spiritual warfare, misunderstanding by ignorant people, uh, teaching of heavenly truths, the driving out of the money changers from the temple twice, every single one of his miracles, healings, and resurrections, all of it was inextricably connected to, and indeed was, all of it leading to the point of Jesus having nails pounded through his wrists and feet into a rough-hewn death construct perfected to inflict the most torture and pain any man could imagine. Why? Let's skip forward to verse 32. Why did Jesus do all of this? And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. This phrase Jesus uses of himself being lifted up is a euphemism of him while nailed to the cross, being lifted up and dropped into the dugout hole in the ground. He already used this phrase in his conversation with Nicodemus all the way back in John 3 when he connected himself to Moses' bronze serpent of salvation. This is the first declared purpose of the crucifixion, drawing all men to himself. Now, taking this with the rest of Scripture, Jesus is not saying that all of humanity would be saved from sin and eternal damnation simply because he would die. But that what it would do is that it would open the door for even the most basic possibility that humans from all nations, tribes, and tongues would be drawn to him by way of the Holy Spirit. He didn't just come for his fellow Jewish countrymen. He would die for the whole world, as he tells Nicodemus in John 3.16. He would die for the whole world, that people from all areas of the world would come to him in faith in his salvation from their sins. When Jesus would take his last breath on the cross and the veil covering the temple's holy of holies was torn in two, the curse of sin and the condemnation that justly goes along with it, blanketing all of humanity, was put to death. The Apostle Paul reiterates this in Romans 6, 6-7. through 7, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for the one who has died is freed from sin. When we come to Jesus in repentance of our sin, faith in his salvation for us, and commitment to him as Lord, not only are we given rescue from eternal torment and hell, but we're given the freedom from the power of sin, addictions, and sinful lifestyles. Who you were born to be in the corruption of this world and the corruption of human DNA was put to death on the cross. With your new life, governed by the Holy Spirit in accordance with God's word. 
Those addictions that feel like they hold all the power in the world over you have already had their chains shattered. They are not who you are. They are not what define you. They're also not to be pridefully celebrated. The blood and death of Jesus has freed you from all of that, pouring out the power of the Holy Spirit over your life to overcome all of that and give you the victory. It may be a lifelong battle against certain sins. You will fail and you will fall to them from time to time since we're still fallen human beings. But the point is to not lay down and succumb to those sins. That's the point. The point is to not pour out into the streets celebrating those sins and imposing them on innocent children who shouldn't have any understanding of the concept of sex, let alone sexual deviance. The point is to keep and never stop fighting these sins in our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit each and every day, surrendering yourself and the sins that so easily beset you to take his transformation and redemption. Like I just said, it may be a lifelong battle. Nobody said anything would be easy. God's word certainly doesn't promise that anything is easy. It may be a lifelong battle against certain sins, but rest assured, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. That is the promise that all of us can hold on to. Not only has the curse of sin, the death that naturally comes as the penalty of that sin, and the just eternal condemnation for that sin been put to death by Jesus on the cross, but the entirety of the power of Satan and his kingdom of darkness was destroyed by Jesus on the cross. Verse 31. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As pointed out by one biblical scholar, the crucifixion meant salvation for humanity, yes. And it meant judgment, as we just read, for the world. Everything that the world holds dear, all the selfishness, all the pride, all the ambitions, all the financial gain, all the other religions and faiths and lack thereof were all proven and shown to be foolishness, utter nonsense, and ridiculous absurdity when Jesus died on the cross. Truly, when Jesus died and rose again, not only was access given to God the Father, and that was kicked open through the high priesthood of Jesus, but our spiritual eyes could be opened to see the world for what it really is. The foolishness, futility, and absurdity might have looked different 2,000 years ago, but it's the same as it is today. If your spiritual eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit because of your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you can see the level of absurdity in this world. Words and understandings of those words are being completely redefined so that two people using the exact same words are saying two completely different things. I've said this several times and I'm saying it again. It's come to the point in the scientific world and human history 
that there is so much overwhelming physical and scientific evidence that casts doubt on the theory of natural macroevolution, in my view, includes theistic macroevolution, and so much overwhelming physical and scientific evidence that supports, at simple face value, the biblical accounts of a literal 24-hour and six-day out-of-nothing creation by God and a worldwide flood explaining the geological and fossil record that you have to willingly ignore the facts staring you in the face. Romans 1 says humanity has suppressed the truth and the lie. We now live in a world where the scientific and biological confirmation over hundreds of years of there being two and only two genders inextricably tied to biological sex is just ignorantly tossed out the window because it doesn't fit the worldly agenda and narrative. We now live in a world where scientific studies prove that the brains of children are not anywhere near developed to know how to handle the issues of sex and gender ideologies in a healthy way, and yet influencers and politicians are pushing that children have more authority than their parents in determining what their gender should be. In fact, two states have made it legal to allow shelters to take custody of confused children whose brains have not fully developed yet and not even notify their parents that they know where, where they are. California is currently debating a bill that makes it defined as child abuse for a parent to not let their confused and not fully brain-developed child undergo transgender treatments and surgeries. It does not make any scientific or logical sense. We now live in a world where science itself overwhelmingly confirms that a human life begins at conception. So what is the logical definition of a human ending the life of another human, no matter what the circumstances of the origin of that human are? The logical definition is murder. But yet, the scientific and logical understandings and explanations of these simple human concepts have been redefined and manipulated by mental gymnastics to the level of illogical absurdity. And since the definition of life and the sanctity of it has been redefined to such a level of illogical absurdity, it's no wonder that senseless and nonsensical brutal attacks caused paralysis and outright murders, even mass murders and even mass murders of children are rising to astronomical numbers. We really shouldn't be shocked at what the world's nonsense has created. We've lived in a world for millennia where adults think it's perfectly fine to exploit, traffic, and sexually abuse children and women, giving them a lifetime of trauma and indescribable pain. We've lived in a world for millennia where career advancement, the gain of wealth, the fulfillment of selfish desires and appetites, and the accumulation of expensive things is the height of goal and accomplishment, no matter how many people and their health are destroyed along the way. Ultimately, we now live in a world where there is no absolute truth. 
You can have an intelligent conversation with someone presenting solid evidence of the things that are at face value simply true in this world, and they can trump any scientific evidence and any logic with their lived experience. The lived experience or subjective truth card, no matter how ludicrous it is, can get played at any point in this world and culture and veto any kind of actual truth. There is no longer any absolute truth or standard for understanding anything in this world anymore. It's now you have your concept of truth and I have mine. And the argument gets quashed immediately. You've heard me use the terms scientific, biological, and logic. Logical over these past couple of minutes. Notice what I didn't do. I didn't even bring a theological or religious basis to these logical fallacies. And I did that to show how, even by the world's standards and understanding, the height of absurdity in this sinful and confused world. But Jesus right here is declaring that his death and resurrection will be what judges the world's concepts, standards, goals, ambitions, and understandings about anything and everything and calls it out and lays it bare for what it really and truly all is. Utter nonsense, drivel, empty words, and ludicrous absurdity. If you really think about it, and your spiritual eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit, access given through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the truths of how God prescribes for us to live in accordance with his word his truths are the only standards and worldview and purpose that make any kind of logical sense. That's because, as the Apostle Paul writes, where is the wise person? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Where are all the so-called smart people who know everything? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? the so-called wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God, not that there is any foolishness of God, but even if there was, the foolishness of God is wiser than anything mankind can come up with. And even if there was any weakness in God, that's even stronger than the strongest things mankind has to boast about. Jesus is the very wisdom of Almighty God. Jesus is also the embodiment of the word of God. And it's through the death and resurrection of the wisdom and word of God that the wisdom, understanding of the word of God, and power to live out the word and wisdom of God is all revealed to us as humans. 
Not only has the death and resurrection of Jesus judged and revealed what the standards and philosophies of the world really are, but the death and resurrection of Jesus is the very basis for the prince of this world to be thrown out of it as Jesus reveals in verse 31. The death and resurrection of Jesus is what frees us from the domain of the kingdom of darkness, as noted by one biblical scholar. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 tells us this exactly. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and picked us up and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You want to know why the standards and philosophies of this world are nothing but nonsense? Because of the author of them. The author of them is the father of lies and the father of deception. God the Father is in complete control of everything, like we talked about earlier in the service today. But right now, this world is held captive by the lies of Satan and his kingdom. We can see it. For Jesus has freed us from that kingdom and has opened our eyes to see what's really going on. As believers in Jesus, we can be interested observers of this world, standing up to its evil in the power of the Holy Spirit and freed from the fear of what is happening in the world all around us. Because we have the truth and we have the peace that comes from that truth. God is sovereign. There is nothing he is not sovereign over. This world is passing away. Our purpose is to share and live out the gospel. And we have the new heavens and new earth to look forward to. For all of eternity. Here's the biblical truth that is not politically correct. Will be seen as narrow-minded. Will be seen as intolerant unloving, and hateful. Here's the biblical truth. Any message, any narrative, any agenda, or even simply belief or view of this world that does not line up 100% with what God has revealed to us in his word is by default satanic. I'm going to say that again. Any message, narrative, agenda, or even simply belief or view of this world that does not line up 100% with what God has revealed to us in his word is by default satanic. Some may balk at that, but think about it. If God's word is our only source of the wisdom of God and therefore truth, then any other concept of truth is what? Satanic. So yes, again, this is not politically correct. The truths of Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, the myriad of New Age beliefs, including karma, reincarnation, and positive energy attraction, Judaism without Jesus, non-biblical, liberal, or progressive Christianity, agnosticism, atheism, paganism, and the obvious current rise of the occult and witchcraft among teenagers are all satanic in origin. 
Satanism, no matter how much actual Satanists will argue against it, is satanic. Satanists claim they don't actually worship Satan or even believe that Satan exists, however untrue that actually is. What they're ultimately worshiping, though, is self. When it all boils down to it, you can claim to worship whatever you want to, but what it boils down to is you're worshiping self. It's based on human pride, and who is the epitome of pride? Satan. Make no mistake, God will not be mocked. Any message, no matter how loving or Christian it sounds, if it does not 100% agree with the entirety of the Bible, is satanic. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. And he will have his justice someday. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was just the beginning of the crushing of the head of the serpent in the power of Satan. Satan can only do what God and his sovereignty allows him to do. And someday Jesus will return to this world overrun by Satan and his demons, put them in chains for a thousand years, establish his kingdom of righteousness on earth, and then toss Satan into the lake of fire for all of eternity. That is coming. In the meantime, we will face, we will deal with, and we will fight against spiritual warfare as children of God and soldiers in his army until the day we die or Jesus comes back for us. The evil we stand up against and fight against is not flesh and blood. It's not human in origin. All of these attacks are spiritual and satanic in origin. The Apostle Paul pulled the curtain back a little bit on the reality of the world we live in. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. The Holy Spirit given to us by way of Jesus' death and resurrection is the power we are given to fight these attacks. You may be fighting spiritual attacks and have been fighting spiritual attacks for a long time. Rather than be discouraged, remember this. And I say this with a smile on my face. Satan thinks you're worth attacking. That means he sees the work God is doing in you and the work God is doing through you, and he's angry. So he's trying to take you out of the game. Don't give up. Keep fighting each day in the power of the Holy Spirit and the armor of God. Keep giving the battle over to God to fight for you. On this Father's Day today, I want to speak directly to the men now. Men, 
No matter who you are, you are a father figure to someone. You have influence towards someone. Married men, you have been created by your heavenly father to love, serve, care for, protect, shepherd, and lead your wife towards the truth of God's word and his righteousness. It's going to be some tough questions. Can she say that's what you're doing? Can she say you're taking that call seriously? If not, husbands, you have some changes to make. You have some work to do. Fathers, stepfathers, foster fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, and father figures, you have been created by your heavenly Father to love, serve, care for, protect, shepherd, and lead your children, your grandchildren, or the children you have influence over. Are you leading and shepherding your kids to love Jesus more? to honor, obey, and serve God more, and to want to follow God's word more? Are you teaching them God's word and the importance of prayer in the home setting? Are you instilling in them the importance of being a regular and involved part of a local body of Christ? If not, fathers and father figures, you have some changes to make. You have some work to do. Men, we have been created by God to be men, to be spiritual representatives and authorities over our families, and who will be held accountable for how we fulfilled that position when we stand before Jesus someday. A lot of familial, community, and national problems are here because men have not sacrificially stood up and fulfilled the positions and roles God has created them to be. It's time we take this seriously, guys, and fight the spiritual battles over our wives, our families, and our kids we have influence over. Satan is actively out to destroy our marriages and our families. Are we standing up in the armor of God and fighting for our wives and fighting for our kids. Here's why. Our commanding officer, similar to Sergeant Adkins in our opening illustration, knew he was going to have to sacrifice himself for all of humanity and followed through with it, as we see here. One of the reasons being to defeat the enemy in the spiritual war that has been raging on for thousands of years. Since that enemy has been defeated by our commanding officer, and indeed by our commanding officer's sacrifice in death, he has freed us from the enemy's power and rather gives us the power to stand firm against him in daily spiritual battle. So are we doing it? Are we taking that seriously? Jesus followed through with his sacrifice, death, and resurrection, focused not on himself or his emotions. His focus was on his Father's will for him. Verse 28 again, Father, glorify your name. 
And a voice came out of heaven. I've both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. As noted by one biblical scholar, God the Father confirmed that he had commissioned Jesus as God the Son to do his will, both in the past and in the future. Everything Jesus had done in the past and everything Jesus will do in the future has already been commissioned and confirmed by the Father. We've already talked about those who have not repented of their sins, have not accepted Jesus as both Savior and King, have not been redeemed, and have not had their spiritual eyes opened yet. They will never understand God's wisdom. They will never understand the words that have come out of his mouth through the Holy Spirit and recorded by men he called to do so. In our passage this morning, the people there 2,000 years ago, still blind and deaf to the things of God, don't understand what just happened. Again, so the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. In the same way, the truths of God's word will always remain stupid, outdated, unloving, judgmental, small-minded, and bigoted to those who are still blind and deaf in their sins. We shouldn't be surprised that they simply can't wrap their minds around what we know to be the truth and will always accuse us of being irrelevant, disconnected, and intolerant. But Jesus says in our passage this morning that the word, Father's words are not just for his sake, but for our sake as well. Again, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, has confirmed all of who Jesus is, what he did, what his death and resurrection accomplished, what that means for us, and what will happen in the future because of him. As soldiers having been recruited into God's army of truth and righteousness, let us take God's words, all of them, the entirety of God's word, to heart. Let them be our mission orders to follow our commanding officer and all of his commands for us to do. Knowing that he sacrificed himself to save us, and give, gives us the power to keep fighting and take his mission, the great commission, to take the gospel to the ends of this earth and to stand in the army of God against the evil in this world. This world will never get us. We know the truth. Let us hold fast to it and spread the light of it in this present age of darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of scripture and all that it reveals to us, especially in connection with the rest of your word. We live in a dark time and in a dark world where things don't even make any kind of logical sense anymore. There is no absolute truth. Lord, we, we are grateful, so grateful that you have chosen to save us through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that death and resurrection of Jesus judges and reveals what the world's standards, philosophies, and morals really are.
utter nonsense. Lord, we are grateful that you have opened our spiritual eyes and revealed to us your wisdom, what the truth is in your word. I pray that we would take all of that truth to heart, that it would be our strength and power in the Holy Spirit to keep fighting, to keep standing for the truth and love, and to keep taking your gospel message to the ends of this earth. Pray that you would give us your power and your humility. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please stand.